Hi, I'm Mark Rotterman. Coming up on Front Row, Americans begin to roll back mask mandates. We'll discuss a new CBS poll of former President Trump's impact on the GOP and should North Carolina consider eliminating the state income tax. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the lightning round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation, political analyst Joe Stewart, Donna King, editor-in-chief of Carolina Journal, and former state senator Bob Ruccio. Donna, why don't we begin with the status of masked mandates here and around the country? Absolutely. We're seeing a trend across the country, including in Democrat-run states, Illinois, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, all rolling back or at least easing mask restrictions, in some cases for school students, too. Well, that materialized this week here in North Carolina. Uh, the legislature passed what they call the Free the Smiles Act, which would put that decision right on parents to whether or not children should mask in school. Simultaneously, almost simultaneously, Governor Roy Cooper had an announcement. He encouraged local communities to start reconsidering mask mandates, lifting them for schools and, and their local communities. So we're seeing North Carolina, while not leading in this, is certainly seeing that train coming, seeing that trend building. And then most recently, Wake County Schools, which is the county surrounding the capital and North Carolina's largest school district, sent an email to parents Friday morning saying they're going to probably start lifting that mask mandate in the coming days. So it really is a trend heading into the spring. And I know it's to the great relief of a lot of parents who say, look, my child's uh, medical and health, uh, health autonomy is in my hands, in their hands, and it's not in the hands of the government. Joe, are officials making uh, political calculations now? It's no longer about the science? No, I think absolutely. I mean, we can say without doubt that the pandemic has been the kerfuffliest kerfuffle that we've ever had. First and, time this year. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's, <laughs> it's that big, Mark. It's that big. <laughs> Uh, but this is one of those issues that became political in the midst of the pandemic and he public health officials trying to identify ways to forestall the spread of, of the virus. I do hope that this begins the discussion of other important matters before North Carolina's General Assembly. Uh, we have an issue with regard to remote and online notarization, which was a function of the pandemic. We needed to be able to have documents notarized. The General Assembly extended or created an emergency order right. to allow it and allowed it to lapse. It needs to be extended. But there are plenty of other things related to the pandemic that are lessons learned that we should take action on. I'm hoping we're turning the page and that masks can, can be put to bed and these other issues can be addressed. Mitch, there are some studies that show that uh, masking uh, hurts early childhood development. Well, certainly among the youngest kids, but most of the studies that have come out have shown that it's a, a net negative for the youngest kids. And that's why so many parents have been so adamant about this. They're seeing the negative impact that it's having on their children to be in masks all day long uh, in the time that they're in school. I think one of the most interesting things about this development to me has been that some members of the media have been perplexed because they'll say to the, the officials who are rolling back these mandates, 
but isn't the science, aren't the evidence of cases still showing us a lot of COVID cases? And the politicians are saying, well, I, I, uh, we're just getting rid of the mandate. So basically it's showing that it really is a political calculation not to Bob, do with the science. Here, please. Well, I think the point uh, Mitch makes is clear. Um, you know, the number of infections, the number of uh, deaths are as high or higher than they were before the mask mandates were put in. So the question you ask yourself, is it public health or is it politics? And I think politics is the answer. Donna, close this out in about a minute. Well, I think that we are we do still have a little bit of uh, probably a little controversy coming about this. Our fear is dramatically entrenched uh, in a lot of families who now worry. The good news is, is that all of the these school districts are not banning masks in any way. They're making them optional. So if you feel your child is safer in a mask, put them in a mask. And, you know, that is what we're talking about is parents, uh, parent control over this. But statistically, still about 50 percent of, in this case, Democrats say that they think you have a 20 percent likelihood of being hospitalized if you get COVID. So some of those numbers, the real numbers about infection rates and hospitalization rates, your chances of becoming hospitalized, they really need to be more publicized. Okay. Any final thoughts, Mitch? Yeah, I would say that one of the things that we have to keep in mind is this has all been about parental choice. It's not about you have to wear a mask or you can't wear a mask. Let the parents make the choice for their kids. Okay, I want to move on. I want to talk about an interesting CBS News poll about President Trump and his impact on the GOP, Joe. Yeah, CBS News did a poll, about 2,500 people nationwide, uh, back in early February the 8th through the 11th. The most interesting thing, I think, as a starting point, there was a famous quote from Ronald Reagan about the 11th commandment was, do not tack other Republicans. And it was in the context of his 1966 run for governor in California. Interestingly enough, in this poll, the question was asked among the Republican portion of the sample, what should we do to Republicans who are, quote unquote, disloyal to Donald Trump? 48% of the respondents said nothing, <laughs> that nothing should be done to people that are disloyal to President Trump. 42% um, of those Republicans said, well, we should support whomever's running against him in a primary. This is kind of an interesting dynamic within the Republican Party where Republican candidates will want to feel as though they have the support of Trump voters within the base of their party, but to win general elections may need crossover voters. They like the moderates. policies Trump had. Yeah. So to some extent, like uh, the current governor of Virginia, who won on the basis in large part of having gotten the endorsement of Donald Trump, but not having to have Donald Trump in the state campaign with him. I think that's what this poll shows. You know, one, one of the things that jumped out at me, they asked people what would be the most uh, compelling reason you could come up with for uh, Donald Trump to run for president again in 2024. 36% uh, of people under the age of 30 said just purely the entertainment factor of having him as a candidate for president again. So I, I think there's a, a clear dynamic in current American politics, specifically within the Republican Party, but generally in our politics, that Donald Trump is this phenomena and how politicians deal with that. This poll, I think, shows there's a lot of diversity of opinion about what you do to say you've got Trump support, but you don't want the downside risk from some voters feeling like you're too aligned. Mitch, there is some slippage in this poll, though, right, for, for poll uh, for Trump to run again. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the numbers have gone down because I think people look at it and say, do they want to win and can Trump win? And that's that's one of the calculations. I think the other interesting thing to me about this poll is that there were some who feared that once Donald Trump won, that the Republican Party would be the party only of Trump and you had to be loyal to Trump. And there were some people who said, well, look, we like what he's done. We like what he did with the courts. We like some of his policies. That doesn't mean that it has to be completely devoted to one man. And I think you're seeing more and more of those people saying, look, let's let's take the good from Trump and try to get rid of what we didn't like about him. 
GOP voters do want to move Donna away from and get off rerunning the last election. I think so. And I think what we're really seeing is that while uh, the GOP has become a much larger tent with, with Donald Trump's arrival on the political scene uh, and, and having more folks in there is better, you know, that populist vote that may not have been active before, it's important. But Republicans are really saying that we want to focus on the big things, the economy, inflation, a debacle in Afghanistan, you name it, the real policy problems that they're the seeing. the future. They don't want to rerun the past. That's exactly right. And I think that that's what we're seeing and that's what they're encouraging, of course other members of Republican, uh, the Republican Party and some candidates to really focus on what are the policy things that these voters care about and what impacts their kitchen table. Bob, what about what, what, what your thoughts? Uh, what struck you about this poll? Well, uh, again, the issues will ultimately go back to, uh, the issues will be what will determine the election, uh, for sure. But there are a lot of voters out there, Republican, unaffiliated, uh, Republicans and Democrats, that really believe that America First policy actually was positive for America, especially after what we've seen in the last last year. But it'll be very interesting to see whether Trump's endorsement will actually carry these candidates over the line. Yeah, we'll see that in North Carolina, right, Joe? I think it will be a factor here in North Carolina. As the senator made allusion to, I, mean, I think some part of this is the perception of Donald Trump's presidency. Overwhelmingly, people supported the policy, but when asked this question, what about the way he conducted himself? Even Democrats were a little more skeptical about wanting to see a return of that. So some of it may be, can candidates here in North Carolina and across the country espouse a Trump-oriented policy right. set without feeling like they're getting the downside from the other parts of his personality. we got to move. I want to talk to Mitch about our state income tax. Eight states have it. Should North Carolina be on the bandwagon? Yeah, eight states have no income tax right. at this point. Right. And uh, New Hampshire looks like it's getting to be Thanks in that way. That it, up. Yeah, it, 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 over the next five years, New Hampshire could become the ninth. And it looks like Louisiana is on a path, although it would take them probably another decade before they'd get to zero. North Carolina has had an income tax for about a century now. And at its peak, at its highest level, it was eight and a quarter percent was the top rate. Now, we have seen since Republicans took control of the General Assembly some sweeping tax reform. I'm glad that we have on the panel a former Senator Bob Rucho, who is part of that. I'm sure he'll have some great comments about this. But one of the ideas in that tax reform package that was passed in 2013 was to start the decline of the income tax rate. We saw getting rid of a progressive system, putting in one flat tax rate. That tax rate has continued to go down. Starting this tax year, it's now going to be 4.99%. It goes down to 3.99%. Grover Norquist of Americans for Tax Reform is one of those who's been describing this as the path to zero. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens on that front. We know on the corporate side, corporate tax side, we're already on the path to zero. We should be at zero from the uh, within a decade going down from what is already the lowest corporate income tax rate among the states that, that, that put this forward. So if we want to get to zero, we're already moving in the right direction. Bob, you have the floor. Well, of course, I, I believe in it's always been my goal to get to zero. But I will tell you right now that what we have established is a pro-growth <clears throat> competitive economy that was critical. But think of the results, you know, tax revenues have increased, wage and salaries have increased. Um, people have received about $3.5 billion of their own money returned to them. GDP growth, other things have increased, jobs created. 
all of those positive effects. And the question is, have we gone far enough? I think if we continue down to the road to zero, of course, there has to be two things that have to be done. One of them, there has to be controlling spending, and there also has to be a consumption-based tax established. That's a sales tax on services, so that there is a, a stream of money maintained for the government to operate. But, but clearly, <clears throat> if that is done with those, I believe North Carolina can be one of uh, the top Donna, nine. Donna, what are critics saying about that? Well, I mean, there, there's a lot that worry that, uh, you know, we won't have the money, the revenue, but but really what that means is you they have to... They say it hurts to, the poor, too, correct? They do, and one of the things that we're really seeing is that North Carolina is getting a huge influx of people who are looking at the results. They're looking at, at, at incomes going up. Uh, services are not being cut at this point. Florida spends half as much as New York, uh, and they don't have an income tax. So really, you can't put those two together. They don't make sense unless you're not controlling spending, and that's the big deal. You have to control spending. You have to have something to to replace it, uh, like a services uh, a services tax, those kind of things. But we're seeing folks coming to places like North Carolina, like Florida, particularly during COVID, because they're seeing that there's a higher quality of life, uh, that there's a lower cost of living, and the services really don't change. It really is about those people coming from high tax areas to low tax areas because they see the results. Joe? The interesting thing about all this, I remember back in 1996 when Hurricane Fran hit the state, then-President Clinton came in. We set up, I was at the Department of Public Safety at the time, we set up a group, a small panel of local elected officials, and President Clinton came in, and one of the local Democratic officials made the derisive comment that here these local Republican officials who'd run on lower taxes and less government seem to be the first ones out with a handout for federal money in the aftermath of the storm. And President Clinton said, I'll never forget this, he said, people don't want more government or less government, they want just enough and not one bit more than that. And so to some extent, the thing to remember in terms of tax policy is we need a reliable way to run the functions of government that are essential. And so the discussion about taxes, unfortunately, higher and lower, we have to make sure we're spending the money that we do have appropriately. And too often, governmental programs are created and then tax revenues are generated to substantiate that. And we don't have a discussion whether this buggy whip regulation program that we have isn't really needed anymore, and we could do away with it. Great conversation. I want to move on to Medicaid expansion, Bob. It's on the table in the General Assembly. Yes. <clears throat> well, again, uh, that was part of the uh, last year's budget. There was a provision that actually established a joint legislative oversight on access to health care and Medicaid expansion. Uh, Senator uh, Craywick and uh, Representative uh, Lambeth are lead on that. The purpose of the committee was to consider improving access to health care and also find the availability or improve the availability of health insurance. Four main purposes to that. One of them was to find the state of health care in North Carolina, how to compare other states, uh, what the state of rural emergency care is, and the viability of rural hospitals, especially as they face closure. Uh, examining the state nursing shortage, which is something that has really popped up, especially with COVID, and the impact of the federal surprise billing law on our state. I spent about an hour last night studying that, and uh, I'm not sure it could have gotten more complicated, so that probably is <laughs> for another show. But uh, there are 12 states that uh, have not, as North Carolina, expanded Medicaid. And uh, again, if you, uh, 2.3 million people in North Carolina here, if an expansion occurs, is 450 to 650,000 new souls on that. And um, I will tell you, um, the Republican leadership did say that any vote will come before the November election. Mitch, can we, in an economic downturn, can we count on the feds to help us with this? They fund about 90% of the Medicaid, don't they? 
That's been one of the concerns ever since the Medicaid expansion was first proposed is that the federal government, which is going further and further into debt, is not going to be able to keep up its end of the bargain. So that has been a question. I think the leadership within the General Assembly right now has seen that as less of a problem. One of the other reasons why you're seeing more interest in this is that the Biden administration has put forward both carrots and sticks, uh, $1.7 billion perhaps as a carrot, and a stick that your rural hospitals that are relying on this money might not get the Medicaid money that they've been getting in the past. So that's one of the reasons why you're seeing increased pressure for the expansion. Joe, are, is the GOP leadership in the House and Senate teeing up an issue for the November elections, you think? I think absolutely some element of pragmatism is in this because rural hospitals have spoken out about the need for expansion uh, given the dynamic of the health care they have to provide in the parts of the state where they're present. And I think for Republican candidates running for the General Assembly in the fall in rural parts of North Carolina, having the ability to say we've delivered on this way to help assure some greater economic stability for the provision of health care services in rural parts of the state, some significant number of counties in North Carolina don't have a primary care physician. I mean, there, there is a big issue about access here that has to be addressed. And if the rural hospitals are able to get this additional revenue from this expansion, I think then maybe the provision of those services in the rural areas of the state would be greater assured. Donna, this has been a top priority issue for Governor Cooper. Absolutely. He's been calling for it since his very first uh, campaign for governor. Uh, we've been seeing a lot about it. It held up a lot of budgets that he vetoed, uh, would not even consider without money for it. Uh, but again, the situation may have changed with sticks and carrots from the Biden administration. But I think the important thing is it's important to study this. And this group also needs to look at some of the things that are driving up costs and reducing access. And that includes things like certificate of need laws, uh, requirements that uh, that hospitals have a certain level of education among their nurses, which prevents them from bringing in anybody who can be qualified. There are a lot of government thumbs on the scale that are impacting access and cost. Okay, great rep. I want to move on to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. First of all, I want to say I'm glad I'm not the one who said certificate of need this time. I, I'm usually <laughs> <laughs> want to break that up. Uh, the, the, the number, and so are we. Yeah. <laughs> the number of people in North Carolina killed in traffic-related accidents was up last year at the highest level in almost 50 years since the early 1970s. 1,755 people killed on the roads. We actually have seen an increase of 45 percent since 2011. Now, some of you may think, well, North Carolina is a growing state. We have more people on the roads. That's why Got some bad news for you. If you actually look at the per capita rate, which factors in population, that number had dropped by 70 percent from 1968 to 2011, then turned in the other direction. Since then, we've been up by 33 percent. And much of that has just been in the past couple of years during the pandemic. Joe? Uh, interestingly enough, a lot of has uh, been discussed about the mental health implications of COVID and the pandemic and people having to be locked down. Actually, there are now starting to be medical studies that show other aspects of the human body have been impacted by COVID. Eye strain as a result of a less favorable condition working from home, aching backs as a result of chairs not being appropriate, even the reduction in the absorption of vitamin D from a lack of sunshine because you're not out of the house as much. I, I can only imagine how much more changes we will see in the human body as a result of a, of a continued uh, presence at home as a workplace as opposed to going into the office. Uh, I, I can only imagine from my own perspective what I've noticed as people have started to come out Apparently, a sense of humor has also been discouraged quite a bit. People are not able to take a joke as much as they once were, I think. Uh, hopefully, that that's returns. That's bad news for you. Yeah, that's bad news <laughs> for me. Bad, bad news for me. Okay, Donna. 
Uh, so my under is that North Carolina, our tax season is a bit delayed here in North Carolina, partially because of the budget and all the changes that came uh, in November in our extremely long, long session. Uh, but due in part to that change, um, there are also software approvals, some other things. Uh, the Department of Revenue is still finalizing tax forms. So if you've tried to file your taxes and you can't, that's why. What's the date? Well, I don't think they've really said it. Oh, February 28th. February okay. 28th. That's when you can start. What are the reasons again now? Now, there's a couple of things. One, North Carolina's budget came through with lots of uh, lots of changes to our tax system, but also, which means that if you're using a software to file your taxes, those updates have to be done and approved, which has slowed the process down a little bit. And uh, that's part of what the Department of Revenue says. They're still working on those tax forms. Bob? Well, my under-reported story is uh, the headline would be North Carolina tax collections soaring again. Uh, reported back that uh, since January 31, that's seven months into the uh, fiscal year 2022, tax revenue was $1.4 billion above what was expected. And now with that in place, the uh, Office of State Budget and Management has uh, announced that that surplus should reach $2.4 billion by the end of the fiscal year 2022. Uh, that is uh, tremendous. That is great growth. That's exactly what we wanted to do when we had uh, in charge of putting this tax policy together. So fiscal restraint, cutting taxes works Absol in your view? Without a doubt. Mitch, you believe that? Yeah, that's true. And in fact, it, this goes back to that theme of having the the tax rate go down, one of the things we didn't mention was putting in the revenue triggers. If, you, if you're if you worried about revenue going down, say the tax cut only takes effect when the revenue goes up. Where's our rainy day fund right now? Uh, Two billion. Two billion. It's not bad. <laughs> really good. Okay. Let's go to lightning around. Who's up and who's down this week? What is up this week is burnout among nurses in North Carolina. There was a new report from the Nurses Association that said that the nurses are showing increased frustration about their workload, pay, of course. Uh, patient aggression was one thing they're worried about. And also the idea that they've just seen too little change since COVID started. They want to see things getting back to something close to normal. When you uh, went on a scale from 1 to 10, they uh, put 7.4 about their concern about COVID. And when you talked about their mental health, they were at about a 5.6. So a lot of concerns. My down humor in politics, the satirist and author P.J. O'Rourke died this week from lung cancer complications. He was 74. I uh, had a chance to interview him a couple of times, including when he was touring behind the, the book, Age and Guile Beat Youth Innocence in a Bad Haircut. <laughs> P.J. O'Rourke will definitely be missed. You know, he really captured the American culture for his time, don't you think? He, he definitely did. And he skewered Democrats, he skewered Republicans. He basically just looked at government and said, he was a libertarian and he looked at everything that went on and said, can't we have some common sense? Joe, who's up and who's down this week? Who's up is fries. The Idaho Potato Commission has announced they're uh, unveiling a, a French fry scented perfume called Frites by Idaho for $1.89, which they say is about the cost of a bag of French fries. You can go on their website and purchase this aroma, which they say scientifically 90% <laughs> of Americans say they enjoy the smell of French fries. And so... Donna, perhaps for this holiday season, in your stocking from okay. me, a little spud aroma. 
Down, yeah. Andrew Yang, the former presidential candidate and failed uh, mayoral candidate in New York, okay. had an op-ed talking about boys. He's concerned about the failing rate of uh, high school completion, the declining percentage of young men represented in college. Feels like this is a significant problem in our country at a time where we're trying to seek issues of equity that young men are having a really okay. hard time in America. Donna, who's up and really down important. this week, please? Um, I'm going to say up is the sound of silence on the uh, special counsel John Durham's investigation investigation on Russia. I know we're going national with this one, but I've been really surprised at how little coverage it's gotten among mainstream media. You're really only seeing it in a few spots. And then when you do see it in mainstream media, it uses words like conspiracy theory and paranoia and things like that. But basically, uh, Durham uncovered that the Hillary Clinton campaign uh, utilized uh, government resources to to check in on uh, President Trump when he was president and during his campaign. Uh, I think that there will be more to come on this. I don't this. think it's going away. I don't think it's going away. As much as many might like it to, I just don't think it's going away. Yeah. My down economic freedom in the United States. The Heritage Foundation uh, releases an annual index of the freest economic freest countries. Uh, North Carolina dropped from 20 to 25, primarily because of COVID restrictions. Uh, the freest uh, places in the United States were single Singapore and Switzerland, the least free, were uh, China and Australia. Who's up and who's down quickly, Bob? Quickly. Thir um, the 30 incumbent congressional Democrats are retiring ahead of the midterm election. That speaks a lot for what potential red wave may be. Going down, uh, I'd say the Canadian government, and that is because of the way they're treating the truckers. They are putting in no-go zones to, to basically not allowing peaceful protest. They they're are, freezing their bank accounts. That's the second part of it was they're seizing their vehicles and they're freezing their bank accounts. So basically, you just have to stand up and shut up. Headline next week. Court renders verdict on new North Carolina election maps. Headline next week. With the redistricting resolve, whatever will we have to talk about? Oh, yes, the election. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Headline next week, Candidate Donna. filing re is scheduled to reopen on February 24th, uh, pending the outcome of this redistricting map decision. Yeah, and I agree. Bob, the headline. legislative redistricting maps are going to uh, receive a very cold response back from the courts and the Democrat-controlled courts. And clearly, you can tell by that because they've already appointed the uh, special um, masters. Okay, that's it for us. Great job, panel. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.